Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning once again to uh, the book of Psalms. Today, Psalm 131. Psalm 131. This is our seventh and final week in our summer excursion in the Psalter. Austin will be bringing the word to you the next couple weeks, and then after that, shortly, we'll move on to a new study. But I've enjoyed being in the Psalms this summer. I always enjoy being in the Psalms. I've enjoyed some of the unique forms that we have looked at as we've opened up various psalms together. We've looked at a prophetic hymn, we've looked at a psalm of praise, we've looked at songs of lament, we've looked at a wisdom psalm, and today we turn to what some have characterized as and called a psalm of confidence. This is a psalm of David one of the primary writers of the Psalms. And this is a song of ascent, meaning that it's one of the corporate songs that God's people sung for generations as they made their way, as they made their ascent to Jerusalem for worship. So it's a corporate hymn of sorts. However you want to label it, Psalm 131 is a simple prayer. And while it may may be simple to pray, simple to read, it is short, it's not simple to live. (laughs) That's so much the case when we come to God's Word, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher, the old quotable preacher, said this about this psalm. He said, it's one of the shortest to read and yet the longest to learn. It's a short ladder to great heights. I think you're going to see that, but I hope you'll also be encouraged and that this brief meditation would move you, would move all of us down the road of maturity. So I invite you, if you're able, as is our custom here at Ascension, out of honor of God's Word, to stand for the reading of this Word, Psalm 131, very short psalm, just three verses. Listen as I read. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. As one who grew up in the decade of the 80s, I know some of you are in that category as well, it's so interesting to experience the stuff of my childhood all over again, particularly with the next generation, with my own kids. I took my sons to see the new, actually my sons took me, that's right, my sons took me to see the new Top Gun movie. We sat next to this lady and she kind of looked over at these boys and she's like, did, did they, have they seen the first one? And I said, oh yeah, they've seen the, they've seen the first one. 
I went and saw Star Wars with my kids, just like I saw Star Wars with my own father. I hear those, those characteristic 80s synthesizer sounds in the current pop music of the day that was so prevalent in the music that I listened to as a teenager. The 80s have come back. There's no doubt that there is a nostalgia. There's a a sentimentality that people my age in their 40s are feeling about their childhood. And since they are the ones that are making the music or at least producing the music, signing these young kids, and they're the ones doing the marketing, we see it increasingly everywhere. But there's something else too. There's something else, more than just nostalgia, more than just sentimentality. There's something deeper. And it's expressed by the song, Stressed Out, by the 21 Pilots. Now some of you old folks are like, I don't know who that is. That's okay. These guys are younger than me, granted, but they express a human reality and a longing in the song that many of us feel to one degree or another. Here's the line in the chorus. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're just stressed out. They later write in the song, out of student loans and treehouse homes, we would all take the ladder. It's a great song. And it begs the question, what are these guys longing for? Well, they're longing for the good old days, right? But not just that, they're longing for that contentment, that inner peace that they remember being a a part of their experience as a child. Now, I know not everybody's experience as a child is the same. Not everyone's experience as a child was good. But for these guys, for the writer of this song, the simplicity of life, mom's presence, mom's care, and even mom's voice as they fell asleep is something that they long for. As we come to Psalm 131 this morning, David's psalm is about the discovery of contentment. The kind of contentment that that childhood gives us just a taste of. David's psalm is about sharing with us the pathway to inner peace. And it's an invitation for you to follow, to come this way. And so as we walk through this psalm, I want to do so with two exhortations that mark our study of these three verses. Two exhortations. And the first one is simply this. Embrace your creaturehood. Embrace your creaturehood. Creaturehood is defined as simply the state of being a creature or a created being. What? And, and what's inherent in being a creature? What's inherent in being a created being? Finitude. Limitations. Now we, in our culture, we, we don't like limitations. We don't like finitude, nor do our natural hearts. No, we pride ourselves on ambition. We pride ourselves on self-sufficiency. Work harder. Put in the effort. You got this. And of course, accompanying that ambition 
that aspiration on steroids is this issue of pride. Ah, pride. The root of all sin and the sin that must be rooted out in our lives. Now think about it. David, who wrote this psalm, who wrote this simple prayer, think about the arc of David's life. David's life could have certainly produced a heck of a lot of pride. Right? The shepherd boy who slayed the giant in the most public, amazing way. The young general who piled up victory upon victory upon victory. The king whose reign was matchless and unlike any other. Indeed, pride became an issue in David's life, didn't it? Because David's life, his mistakes, his sin... They all mark those instances when he believed the lie of entitlement, when he believed that he was more than what he really was. But here, in Psalm 131, David has learned something. He's learned how to foster a quiet soul. He's matured to a perspective that that acknowledges God as creator and David as a creature. And he's resting there. And we see this fleshed out for us in in three distinct ways. His heart, his eyes, and his feet. It's all there in verse 1. First of all, his heart. This has to do with his feeling, his inner sense. David says, my heart is not lifted up. It reminds me of Psalm 139 and David's words in that psalm, my favorite psalm, where after beginning to extol God's knowledge, his extensive sovereign knowledge, David says in verse 6 of that psalm, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David's come to a point in his life where he's acutely aware that he is not God. That life is not all about him. And that begins to kill his pride. But then he speaks of his eyes. My eyes are not raised too high. Here he moves from his internals, his feelings, to his actions. See, understanding who he is in the shadow of who God is affects the way he views and he treats those around him. His eyes are not looking down on others. They're not too high. We might use the modern idiom that he doesn't have his nose in the air. He recognized, like we need to recognize, that our neighbors living in sin, maybe even living in stupidity, That they're bent and they're broken and yet they're made in the image of God just like me. And so how dare I look down on them, particularly as a recipient of grace, how dare I look down on them as if they're less. My eyes are not raised too high. And then there is his feet. And you say feet? Well, I don't see feet here in verse 1. Nate, where's feet? Well, it is here. It's not in your English translations, but the phrase occupy myself is translating a Hebrew idiom that literally means I do not walk in. In other words, not only am I not God, but of course I can't do his work either. I don't know his ways. The secret things belong to him. The things revealed belong to me. 
And David says all those things because they are the fruit of recognizing that there are things in his life that are outside of his control, that are outside of his comprehension, and that's not only okay, that's good. Because all of these phrases embrace a posture of humility, of reliance rather than self-sufficiency, of ultimately resting rather than striving. And so David says, embrace your creaturehood. And the problem for us in modern America is this isn't the way of the world. This isn't the cultural air that we breathe. This isn't the natural bent of our hearts. No, the way of the world, and listen up kids, this is particularly poignant for you, the way of so much of social media these days is that it's all about you and only you. You're what really matters. You're sufficient for whatever comes your way. Keep your hearts high. Keep others low and strive for greatness. That's what we're communicating. That's what so many influencers are communicating. And the fact of the matter is, the Bible says this is a recipe. Kids, this is a recipe for restlessness. If it's all up to you, and if self is supreme, you're going to be miserable. So we need to guard our hearts against this inherent danger. Miroslav Volf, he's a theologian teaching at Yale University. He wrote this, the more you fill the self, the more it echoes with the emptiness of the unfulfilled. Let me repeat that. It's a profound statement. The more you fill the self, the more it echoes with the emptiness of the unfulfilled. And so David in this little prayer says, friends, there's a better way. Embrace your creaturehood. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. Strive for gospel contentment. Embrace your creaturehood and strive for gospel contentment. If the way of the world described by David was what he has left behind, that's the content of verse 1, then verse 2 of Psalm 131 describes the way of the Lord. And it begins to do so through a picture. A picture of God the Father as mother. Only a few other places in Scripture does God describe himself or compare himself with motherly characteristics? But when he does, it's powerful. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on her son in her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah 66, 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, says the Lord. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. See, this imagery captures a unique aspect of God's relationship with his people, his nurturing, his tenderness, his devotion so often exhibited by our mothers. But here in the psalm, the focus is actually not on the mother, is it? It's on the child. It's on the child. Now, as we've seen this in other passages in the Scriptures, indeed, Jesus' own words in Matthew 18, you must be like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Scriptures compare us to children. That's nothing new. 
But here, notice that the focus is on a weaned child. David says it twice in verse 2. You see, David is not just saying that simply being a child has produced this quiet and calm soul, but rather that this has come about as a result of being weaned. Now, what is a weaned child? Some of our kids are thinking, what is a weaned child? Well, a weaned child is one who has moved from milk to solids. In other words, mama's milk, as my kids used to call it, is no longer in play. So notice here in this psalm, in Psalm 139, it's not a child at his or her mother's breast that is content, but a child that's at her side. So what is David saying? I think he's saying two profound things in this psalm. First of all, he's saying, like him, we all must be weaned. We all must be weaned. Just as Paul said in Philippians 4, a passage that we looked at recently as we studied that book, Paul has learned contentment. David says that we must as well. We must learn to have a quiet and calm soul. And this comes through the weaning process. Now, any of you parents who have had kids and who have gone through the weaning process know that it's not fun. It's not fun for mom. It's not fun for child. It's not fun really for anybody in the house. Because an unweaned child is discontent. An unweaned child is demanding and irritable and cranky. Weaning is accompanied by tears and anger and frustration. Give me what I need now. I'm thirsty. But all of it is necessary in order for the child to mature. And so we must be weaned. But how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place of contentedness? Well, the weaning process, it doesn't look the same as it does for all of us. It involves a conscious killing of pride in our hearts and in our lives. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Embracing our creaturehood is part of that putting to death pride in our lives. It involves truly understanding and and living out of knowing our place and, and understanding and knowing and believing God's promises and His character. And for so many of us, the weaning process is painful. It does happen with a lot of kicking and screaming and crying and frustration and and even anger because we're holding on to pride and the Lord has to humble us in order that we relent of ourselves. That was David's path. Read Psalm 51. David was brought to the depths by his own sin, by his own selfishness, by his own pride. And it was painful. It involved death. But even in this, he is good. God is good. His goodness is not dependent upon our circumstances. In the weaning process, whatever you're going through, God is at work. God is not holding out on you. 
any more than, than a mother is holding out on her child by, by weaning him or her, right? I mean, all the child knows is, is milk, and that's, that's good. But the mother through the weaning is saying, there's more. There's burgers. And there's cake and ice cream and coffee and cherry pie. We all must be weaned. And then the second profound thing that David's saying is that once weaned, contentment can really be ours. I mean, that's the point of the whole psalm. No longer a rebellious runaway with your fist in the air declaring, I can do it. Nor are you this this whiny baby crying to God only in your need. You see, the weaned child sees himself and sees God for who they are. And that produces a calm confidence. It produces a supernatural strength. Still trusting, yes. Still dependent, yes. But not arrogant, not demanding, and not entitled. That's the weaned child. Calm and quiet by his mother's side. I love this description from an old German Protestant theologian, Arthur Wieser is his name. He says this, as a child gradually breaks off the habit of regarding his mother only as a means of satisfying his own desire and learns to love her for her sake, so the worshiper, after a struggle, has reached an attitude of mind in which he desires God for himself and not as a means of fulfillment of his own wishes. See, that's what we're after. That's what Christian maturity is after. That's what becoming like Christ is after. That's good. Striving for and praying for the growth to get to the point where we don't receive, where when we don't receive what we think we need or what we think we're entitled to, we still love Him. We still declare that He is good and that He is for us. Our souls are still calm and content in His good providence. Strive for gospel contentment. And I put the word gospel in there because the word gospel must be there. It must always be there. Because only Jesus, only the good news of who He is and what He has done can create this in us. Only His Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ can give us strength to walk like this. As I said last week, Jesus is the proof of God's goodness. The Gospel is God's definitive word. His definitive statement of His love for you. And so, brothers and sisters, this psalm ends with an invitation. Verse 3, hope in the Lord. Not in yourselves. You're not God. You can't do God's work. But you can trust Him. You must trust Him from this time forth and forevermore. And this, church, is, is our message. Not, not just to our own hearts this morning, but to the world. Eugene Peterson describes the world as we are sweatily knocking together a Babel when we could be vacationing in Eden. 
We are sweatily knocking together a Babel when we could be vacationing in Eden. The gospel says to you this morning, and God's word says to you this morning, that you don't need to be restless. You don't need to be always running, always striving for something, always anxious about everything, but you can rest like a child who has learned love from his or her mother and is now content to be by her side. Hope in the Lord. Hope in Jesus. He is the one you need. He is all that you need. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these truths spoken so powerfully by your servant David. These are words spoken after a life lived of hardship and pride and growth. Father, many of us in this room have experienced the same kind of hardship, the same kind of pain. And Father, we cast our hearts and our reliance once again upon You and upon Your goodness, asking for the grace to trust amidst the mystery, to embrace who we are, to embrace who You are, and to cry out to a watching world that is so restless, that is so focused on itself, that there is something so much greater, so much more satisfying, something that truly gives, someone who truly gives peace and contentment and rest. Father, may we believe it, may we live it, may we proclaim it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.